Good morning, church. As Michael said, it's a, it's a warm day, but it's a wonderful day to worship God. This morning we're talking about generosity and the radical generosity of Jesus and our call to follow in the steps of that radical, generous life. Two reasons um, why I want to talk about that this morning. Um, one of those is that we are coming up to a new year, as, as Michael talked about. 2020 is, is almost upon us, just a couple of weeks away. And I'm not sure whether you're the kind of person that likes to make resolutions or not. Maybe you think that it's a good plan. Maybe you think it's just silly and no one ever does them. But regardless, um, the new year gives us an opportunity to think about where we're going in life and what directions we're taking, what we're doing with the things that we have and, and whether there are any adjust, adjustments that we want to make for the new year. Also, I want to talk about generosity this morning because um, we are in, in this, what people call the, the holiday season, the season of giving. Um, of course, we don't know um, when Jesus was born as, as the world um, claims to, but we, we have this time that um, people talk about as this, this season where, where we're meant to be generous and we're meant to be giving things. And no doubt you've probably um, bought some presents for people or maybe at your work they've got uh, some presents going around at the end of the year. People are generous um, this time of year and people tend to have their minds on giving things to people. So I thought in the middle of all of this, let's have a look at generosity and what the Bible says about being generous and look to how we can be generous approaching a new year with new opportunities. If you're visiting with us, understand this. We have no expectations of you with regards to you giving to the church financially. Um, we don't have any demands for you. As we pass the plate around every week, I want you to know very clearly, if you're a visitor, um, there is no expectations whatsoever that, that you give to the church. That's completely your choice. We're not looking to see whether you're giving anything in, into the plate uh, or into the bag. We, that, that's honestly all up for you. Um, we won't stop you from giving because no one stops anyone from giving. But um, that, that's completely up to you and, and we leave that between you and, and your relationship with God. To our members though, it, it is slightly different. Although we do agree that your money is ultimately between you and God. We don't check anyone's bank account. We don't check your, your paycheck. We don't check your salary. I don't know how much you earn. I don't know how much you give. And it's good that it's that way. It's good that that is completely between you and God. Because what it means is that on judgment day, when you stand before God and he asks for an account of your giving and your generosity, you can't point the finger at me and say, well, Daniel knew, and, and he didn't tell me, or, or Daniel knew my salary, he knew how much I was giving, so it's partly him to blame. I'm not to blame on Judgment Day. Your money and your generosity is only between you and God, and you're going to have to make all of those decisions. This isn't a lesson that's targeted at someone. This isn't a lesson that, that says, well, you're not giving enough, or you're not giving enough. I don't know that. Only God knows that. But this is a lesson that we do because we care about your soul. Because the Bible is filled with examples of people who were really close to the kingdom and their attitude to generosity was the one thing that kept them out. And that scares me. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. And we'll read verses 21 and 22. This is in the middle of the account Jesus shares with the rich young man, the rich young ruler. 
He comes and he asks Jesus in verse 16, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And later on down in verses 21 and 22, after he says, all these things I've kept, Jesus said to him in verse 21, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Some other translations say, if you would be complete or this one thing you lack. In verse 22, it says, When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had a great many possessions. Jesus says a similar thing in the parable of the seed and the sower. The seed is sown in, in different soils, and sometimes when that seed is sown in our heart, the word of God comes into our heart, but sometimes we have a heart that is what the Bible describes as thorny ground. And what are the thorns that get in the way of the word of, of God growing? It's the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, according to Matthew thirteen twenty two. That's really sad. That's really, really sad that some people miss the kingdom of God because of temporary riches. And I'm really distressed, and I hope that those words distress you too, that there could be people here this morning who are really struggling with this, who are currently in a battle because the word of God is in their hearts, but so are the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. And I don't know who might be struggling with this this morning. I assume that all of us are struggling with it in one way or another. And what's really distressing is that there could be people here this morning who don't win that battle and where money wins. The deceitfulness of riches comes out on top and does choke the word. And if you think, well, that won't be me, you haven't read your Bible, have you? It's always the people who say, well, that won't be me, that it happens to. You see, greed is a secretive sin. You know, you look at other sins, you look at um, adultery or murder or um, bowing down to idols. Those are fairly obvious sins. Have you accidentally ever committed adultery? Have you accidentally found yourself in someone's bed and gone, oh, I think I'm committing adultery here. I have to jump out and fix this. Have you accidentally murdered someone? Have you accidentally bowed down to the Canaanite god of Molech, got halfway through and gone, oh, actually, this is not what I'm meant to be doing? No, those things are obvious things, aren't they? They're clear things that you do. They're, they're often premeditated things that you do. Greed is secretive, though, isn't it? There's a Presbyterian... Um, uh, preacher who wrote a book on greed and he had this interesting thing to say. He said he'd been in his, in his Presbyterian church for 35 years. He'd had people come to him and they had confessed every single sin that he could think of except one. Guess what it was? Greed. Covetousness. That was the one sin in 35 years that he didn't hear. All of the other sins that you can imagine he'd heard. But greed was the one thing that no one came to him and said, I'm guilty of that. And that's why Jesus shouts to us and says, wake up, watch out, turn to, me, uh, turn to Luke 12 with me. Luke 12. Just when you think it won't affect you, Jesus says it will. Luke has a lot to say about um, what Jesus said about money. Luke 12 and verse 15 And he said to them, watch out or take care or be on your guard against all covetousness. 
He doesn't really have to say that about adultery or murder or anything like that because those things are really obvious things. You don't have to be really careful because um, you might accidentally slip into adultery. You might accidentally slip into murder. But you may accidentally slip into greed. And you may be living a life that is filled with greed and you may not know about it. As with the rich young ruler, he thought that he was keeping all of the commands of Moses from his youth. It was only until Jesus pointed to his heart that he was confronted with the truth. So, this morning we're going to talk about three, lots of threes, okay? I want to make three lists of three things so you can... um, you can focus on that. We're going to talk first of all about the three mistakes that we make when it comes to money. Then we're going to talk about three bad reasons for not giving. And then we're going to finish with three good reasons to rethink what we do with our possessions, our money, our giving, our generosity. Okay, so let's start with three mistakes that we make with money. The Bible says that one of the mistakes you can make with money is that you love money. Turn to First Timothy chapter 2 with me. First Timothy chapter 3, sorry. First Timothy 3. First Timothy 3 contains the qualifications for leaders in the church. These aren't just things for um, leaders in the church to aspire to. This is, these are all aspirations that all Christians should be heading towards. In First Timothy 3 and verse 2, it talks about how an elder or an overseer or a pastor must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Um, Uh, In verse 3, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. What do you think of when you think of someone who loves money? You think of a millionaire, right? Or a billionaire, someone on their yacht, someone who maybe works in finance sector, someone who has their eyes green with greed and envy. Of course, the Bible doesn't present that picture does it it says that the love of money is something that we're all susceptible to the rich and the poor alike um the the millionaires and the hundredaires turn to um first timothy chapter six with me first timothy chapter six and we're going to read verse 10 it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from their faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Christians are susceptible to loving money. Okay? This verse says that people lose their faith because they fall in love with money. And if you think you're not susceptible to that, you're kidding yourself. Satan is the father of lies. He would love to convince you that you can't fall in love with money. But you and I can. We know that it happens. In fact, when you think of the people in the New Testament world who were the lovers of money, it wasn't the sinners, it wasn't the worldly people, it was the Pharisees. It was people who were keeping the law of Moses to the T. Look at um, Luke chapter 16 with me. Luke chapter 16. And verses 13 and 14. 
No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. And look what happens. The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things and they ridiculed him. These, these were not worldly people. These were not great big sinners. These were people who would have been at church every Sunday. These were people who would have been reading their Bible and praying and coming along all the time. These were people who you would have looked at as the examples of religious belief. And yet they were guilty of loving money. So to think that you or I could be immune from this is just a fallacy. What's the antidote to loving money? The antidote to loving money is loving God. Love God instead. Replace one love in your life with a better love. Don't just get rid of the love of money and leave it empty. Replace that love with a stronger love, with a more passionate love for God. That's why Jesus says about the, the kingdom, of the, um, the parable of the, the hidden treasure in the field. And he says the person who finds the hidden treasure, um, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and bought the field. He was willing to give up all of his possessions, everything that he had, because he loved the treasure of the kingdom more than he loved his possessions. And, and we've got to rekindle our love towards God. If you find that you're heading in a direction that is loving money and material possessions, I suggest that you need to rekindle your real love for God. Um, think, about what, think about the example of Jacob. You remember when Jacob went to Laban? And he went to Laban and, and he says to Laban, Look, um, I love your daughter Rachel. I'd really love to marry her. And, and Laban says, Well, you can, but there's a... There's a price that you have to pay and the price is seven years of waiting you have to work for me for seven years and then you can have my daughter to marry and do you remember that beautiful quote that the bible says about jacob's disposition here it says in genesis 29 20 so jacob served seven years for rachel and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love that he had for her if you really love something it's not a burden anymore it's not an obligation. It's not a hassle. It's not an inconvenience. Seven years for the girl of your dreams doesn't seem like that much. And if you really love God, if I really love God, is giving my money going to be a big burden? Is, is that going to be a big hassle and inconvenience in my life? It really shouldn't be. Um, We've also got the mistake of trusting in money. The Bible talks about this as well. Let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6. And this time we'll read verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes or to trust in uncertain riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Are we sometimes guilty of trusting in money? Are we sometimes guilty? I, I've said this, I said this just a couple of weeks ago and I pulled myself up on it. Someone asked, you know, how I was doing and, and you know, I was thinking to myself, well, pretty good you know i'm pretty safe and secure i'm at a good place in life we've we've got some savings in the bank so I, if anything goes wrong you know i've i've got those savings there everything's fine and isn't that trusting in money isn't that saying instead of 
everything will be okay because God is on my team and God has promised to never leave me or forsake me. Instead, I'm saying everything will be okay because of the bank account balance that I have. It's really easy to do. People in the world talk like this all the time and we've got to guard ourselves from this kind of thinking. Look at Proverbs chapter 11 with me. Proverbs 11 and verse 28. This is one of those proverbs that you should keep coming back to time and time again to remind yourself of. It's something that we all know. Proverbs 11 and verse 28. Whoever trusts in riches will fall. I think the, uh, one of the paraphrased versions says, anyone who trusts riches is going down, down, down. <laughs> anyone who trusts riches is going to fall. It's just a truth about life. If you put your trust in something that is uncertain you will be disappointed you will be eaten alive by something that is not trustworthy sometimes we don't trust in god because we we think well look i i trust that god will will love me and that he'll he'll um give me his grace and mercy and he'll forgive me but if i run out of money he's not going to magically zap my bank account is he i mean he's not going to just miraculously work in such a way to to fill up my bank account so uh, look i'll i'll say that i trust in god but really i'm, I'm going to make sure i have those savings tucked away i get that that's that's reasonable we do need to make sure that we don't empty our bank account and expect god to miraculously fill it back up but is God able to provide for us even in ways that are non-miraculous, even in ways that don't include a miraculous zapping of our bank account? Absolutely. As we read in our reading, there were no needing people in the early church. Why? Because God zapped their bank accounts? No, because their brethren helped to provide for them. And I trust the, the family here that if I find myself not having enough food for the night, is there anyone here who's going to say, no, I'm not going to give you any food? No, I'm not going to give you a can of spaghetti that you can have. I'm not going to give you an apple or something. I bet every single person in this room would, would happily drive to my house at the drop of a hat and feed me until I was too full and couldn't walk. We can trust in God because he will provide, maybe not through some miraculous zapping of a bank account, but through brethren, through the ways that he works in providence in our lives. And we can trust that. I can trust that. We also make the mistake of obeying money. Now, this might sound a, a little bit funny. Has money ever told you what to do? Has money ever commanded you to do something? You might think, well, I don't really obey money, but the Bible does talk about obeying things that become idols. You see, the Bible says very clearly that greed and covetousness is part of idolatry. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 makes this very clear, and it's repeated again in Ephesians chapter 5. But let's just look at Colossians 3 and verse 5. Colossians 3 and verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. When money becomes my God, I bow down to it and I obey it. And the Bible says that that's not okay. In Romans 6 and verse 6, it says, we should no longer be enslaved to sin. And that includes covetousness. I often make the mistake of making money into a God and bowing down to that instead of my true God. So those are three mistakes that we make. We love money, we trust money, we even obey money. We need to be freed from those mistakes. We need to be forgiven of those mistakes. 
We need to love God, trust God and obey God instead. So here are three bad reasons for not giving. The first is that we think generosity is about being rich. Um, Jesus says that's a load of hogwash. (laughs) What a ridiculous notion to say that you have to be rich before you have to be generous. Haven't you ever read the story of the widow and her two mites that she put in? And Jesus holds her up as the epitome of generosity, one of the poorest women in all of Israel. If you're waiting until you get rich to be generous, you haven't read your Bible. Go and read it again. It says generosity starts with an attitude, not with a large bank account. One of the other bad reasons we give... Sorry, that's the the parable of the widow with her two mites. One of the other bad reasons we have for not giving is that we forget. Have you ever been guilty of forgetting? Have you ever felt that guilt when the collection plate comes around and you think, oh, I didn't get to do that this week? I made sure that we had our giving this week because I thought, what a hypocrite if I get up here and we've forgotten. So I checked like 10 times before we came this morning. We should be like that every week, shouldn't we? Super diligent. I understand we forget important things sometimes. Even really important things in your life, you can sometimes, they can slip your mind. I'm not saying that, you know, it's the most horrific sin to, to forget once in your life. But if this is becoming habitual, if this is something that week after week it's slipping your mind, we've really got to step up our game. Imagine if Jesus forgot. Imagine if God forgot to be generous to us. Imagine if he saw our predicament and it just slipped his mind to be generous and to give himself for us. Jesus makes it clear on so many occasions that this is an issue that souls will be lost over. Okay, so that's not something that we should be forgetting. Jesus says to that rich young ruler, one thing you lack. He doesn't say, well, as long as you've got the main things done, Giving is kind of an optional extra. If you can remember to do it, that's great. If you forget, that's fine. It doesn't matter. I think it's really insulting to God to look at his incredible gift of his son and then to follow it up with forgetting to give and doing that on a habitual basis. It's not a good excuse. And I don't want to be standing there on judgment day saying to God, yeah, I I just forgot. I don't think that holds much water. Another bad reason for not giving is we think others will do it. I'm glad that Jesus didn't say that. I'm glad he didn't look down at our predicament being lost in sin and say, I'm sure someone will save them. I'm I'm sure someone else will be generous enough to, to save their souls. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 with me. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. says this as each one of us has received a gift from god let us use it to serve one another as good stewards of god's grace if god has blessed you with something don't say well others are going to do it because you are going to be accountable for god for the things that he has blessed you with if you say someone else will do it the problem is someone else isn't going to stand in your place when you stand before god So let's finish this off with three good reasons to rethink our giving. We've looked at some tough things, some warnings, some challenges, but I want us to finish on a positive note by going, this is a great opportunity that we have to look at rethinking what we are giving and how we are being generous in our life. Reason number one, 
Hannah and I are looking at rethinking our giving as we get towards the end of the year because we know that this is a temptation. How tragic it would be for all of the things that we've tried to do for God, all, all of that be for nothing because we've let money become a temptation. We've let money become an idol. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realise that it was all in vain because of this one thing. I want to be constantly checking my heart to see if my love and trust and obedience of money is getting in the way of my relationship with God. So Hannah and I are going to be looking at this as we go into the new year. I hope you take an opportunity to sit down with your family or sit down with your spouse or, or if you're on your own, sit down. Look at what you have and say, is this a temptation for me? What does Satan want you to do here? What would Satan love you to do with this lesson? He would love you to go home and forget about it. He would love you to continue on and to let all of these things just take a background in your life. So I, I want to impress upon you how important this is to action. Another good reason to rethink your giving is because life changes. Things happen, you know, with Hannah and I. Hannah's had changes in employment this year. We've had different things we've been saving for and different things we've had come up that we've had to pay for. Our, our situations change and when our situation changes, we need to rethink what we can give to God. I don't know about you, but when extra bills come up, I start thinking about, oh, are we, do we have to cut down on our giving or, or can we not give as much? But when extra money comes in, I don't think about, oh, can we improve our giving? That, that thought doesn't come naturally to me. I have to be really conscious to make that thought in my mind. So if you've had life changes, if maybe someone's changed work or you've had a pay raise recently or maybe you've paid off the house or paid off the car, if you've had a change in your situation, maybe now's a good time to reconsider how much you're giving. And finally, we're excited about the work that's going on at Gibbs Street and that's a really good reason to reconsider how much we give. When we look at this congregation, we see a congregation that's doing really good work and that we're really excited to be working with and we want to be contributing to this work. We've seen all sorts of good things happen in this congregation this year and I want to see that increase and improve and be better and bigger next year. Give you a taste of this. Um, I'm thankful and I'm excited in the, about the work that we're doing in Guinea. I'm really excited that we're able to contribute to that work and we're able to help out with people who are in need and spreading the gospel with those in that part of the world. I'm also excited that we've been able to support all sorts of smaller works as well. We've supported Ian Coker as he's gone to the Solomon Islands. We're supporting him as he goes with Rick to India. We've supported all sorts of causes that have come up this year. As they come up, we're able to help out in this way or that way. They're too numerous to name, so I won't even go into them. I'm thankful that over the past year, we've had countless people come to the congregation here needing help with groceries or, or with getting through life with some kind of difficult situation they're in and we've been able to help those people. Just in the last few weeks we've had a number of people who have needed help and we've been able to bless them with the things that they need. We've got a lady called Carolyn who's um, struggling through life at the moment. She's trying to look after her kids. She's trying to hold down her job. Uh, the, a couple of weeks ago her car broke down, she couldn't get to work and the church was able to help out through the generosity of our members. 
We have a, a father who's, who's trying to keep his son in a, in a good way. He's trying to keep his son out of jail. And he's coming to the church here because he wants food at home so that his son will come home and, and eat with him and spend more time with him instead of having bad influences in the world. We have um, a, a lady who came and she just needed a, a place to stay for the night. Um, this was a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago maybe. Um, she came here and we were able to give her a bed for the night. She was so thankful that this congregation was able to give her those, those necessities. We can't go through all of those people that we help, but on a regular basis, we're able to help people in our community. A lady with addiction, um, who struggles with addiction and is trying to, to um, get clean and get sober, we're able to help her with the essential groceries in her life um, because she has so many broken relationships that she's finding it really hard. Um, a, another um, lady who... Um, yeah, was, was struggling with um, providing and putting dinner on the table for her kids one night and we were able to, to give her the dinner that she needed. All of those opportunities that we have, all those opportunities to help out, what a wonderful thing to give our money to. I'm thankful that this congregation doesn't just give people food, it gives people spiritual food as well. Over this past year, we've seen all sorts of activities that the church has done. We printed up um, 70 signs, roadside signs that we've placed all around Toowoomba. We've had a great response from these. All sorts of people have driven past. I know um, this piece for busy people one, I kept driving past it on Stennis Street. It was up for a month and I reckon I drove past it 25 times. I'm sure that lots of people drove past it and, and saw that sign. We, we had that all over Toowoomba. We've had all these signs all around and people have seen that the Gibbs Street congregation is active and that it has things on. It's been a wonderful thing and I, I'm so thankful that we can support the evangelism that this congregation does. We've also distributed over 5,000 flyers and business cards. You'll recognise these flyers that we've given out throughout the year. And these things, you know, um, we give out lots of material and I'm sure some of it goes in the bin. I'm sure all of it goes in the bin eventually. But we're putting it in people's hands. We got a call just a couple of weeks ago from a lady who got one of these in her letterbox and she really wants to come to church and she was asking for our prayers and our help in allowing her to come to church. Uh, in all of these events that we've had, we've had responses from the community who have seen that the Gibbs Street congregation is preaching the gospel, the good news, and people have responded in small ways. We've got our, our Facebook page. If you haven't liked us on Facebook, you've got to do it. It's so easy. It's just one button to, to press like. I'm sure Paul, after being stoned almost to death and being in a, a prison cell on his own, would think, really, is that what evangelism looks like 2,000 years in the future? All you've got to do is sit on your couch like a, a lazy old man and press the like button. He'd think that we have it so easy. If, if you can just give it a like and then like some of our posts and share our posts. Some of the easiest evangelism you'll ever do. And we reach people with this. You know, this is a graph of the last couple of months back to October. Our posts are reaching, oftentimes our posts reach hundreds of people in the community and Christians from this congregation and from around Australia and around the world. We've had this year over 30,000 post views on Facebook. Over 30,000 people have seen a post that we've put up advertising our lectureship or advertising our Kids for Christ or our youth group. Isn't that fantastic? 30,000 eyes have seen that the Gift Street congregation is doing work. This is in May we did our Good News series and we reached 
10,000 people over just two days, um, showing them, people in the Toowoomba region, that we are preaching about the good news. Now, I don't recall 10,000 people showing up that Sunday, (laughs) but 10,000 people saw it, scrolled past it, had the gospel presented to them in that form. 10,000 people standing before God on Judgment Day saying, yeah, I did see that. I did see that the Gift Street congregation was preaching good news. And brethren, that's our job. That's our duty. And I'm glad this congregation is doing it. We've got our website. On our website, um, this year we had the most visitors that we've ever had before on our website. We had 1,500 visitors from all around the world, but especially from the Toowoomba community. That's 25% more than we had last year. It keeps growing, it keeps increasing. More and more people are using this resource. We had 4,448 page visits, so almost 5,000 people clicking on a page somewhere. And most of these visitors are unique visitors, so first-time visitors, new visitors. So that's excellent. Um, on, the, on the Google search engines, um, we show up uh, over 28,000 times. So when people have searched for Gipps Street Church of Christ or Church of Christ in Toowoomba or churches in Toowoomba, we're showing up on maps and we're showing up on Google search results. So people are seeing that this congregation is here. 28,000 people have seen um, that we're visible. On our Google search result, when they click on us, um, this is the first photo that comes up. So 5,000 people have viewed that photo. So Lisa, I hope you're having a good hair day because 5,000 people... We're looking at your hair. <laughs> I felt quite unfair because we uploaded this photo and we uploaded a couple of other photos. This one got 5,000 views. This one of my beautiful face got a lousy 288 views. <laughs> People prefer looking at the back of Lisa's head 20 times more than they prefer my beautiful face. Anyway. I really love this congregation. I really love the work that we've done this year. It's been a good year. We've evangelised, we've helped those who are in need, we've helped those overseas and in our local community. And this is a work I really want to support. I just want to ask that you consider supporting it more next year if you're able to. Here's the truth, and I don't know whether you know about this, but we can't afford all of this. We can't afford this, this congregation. We actually rely on the donations of other congregations. There are about half a dozen um, congregations around Australia. All of them are smaller than us and they help us to employ a full-time worker for all of the expenses that we have. We are actually getting funding and resources from other smaller congregations. Our goal is to be self-sufficient in years to come, hopefully in as short as time as possible. Brethren, we need your support to help the the work of the church here. We know that God provides. We know that that he will always find a way. But if it is possible, can you think about whether you're able to contribute more to the work of the church here? Can you think about your generosity and think, in this coming year, is, is it possible for you to be able to provide more so that we can continue to do this work? We don't want to stop this work. We don't want to stop printing flyers. We want to print more flyers next year. We want to reach more people next year. We want to be able to reach this community better than ever. If you're able to help us in some way, I know it's not a significant thing. I know it's not putting you up on a pedestal. If you can give into that bag and help the work of the church, it's an incredible thing that you're doing for God.
And Jesus says those who give secretly will be rewarded by God openly. It may not feel spectacular when you're doing it. It's one of the best ways that you can contribute to the work of the church.